Hi, I'm Lottie Morley and this is LadyPod, the podcast celebrating wonderful women. My guests will be sharing their inspiring stories about how they got to where they are and a few funny tales along the way. This series, we're focusing on the pandemic. We'll be hearing from women on the front line and those who can help make our time in lockdown a bit more bearable. My guest today is a woman of many talents. Half the year, she's a skiing instructor in resorts across the world. The other half, she's a trainee manager in a nursing home. Just before the pandemic started, Minna Cliff was teaching skiing in Austria, but came home to Wales as soon as things started getting serious. During the pandemic, she's been helping out with anything and everything, from residents' personal care to feeding meals and washing dishes. Minna, welcome to the podcast. Hiya. <laughs> we'll start off by asking how, how you are. Yeah, I'm good. A bit tired from work, but no. We're, we're getting there in the home, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing all right. Much better than I was. And when did you start working in the nursing home? Uh, over 10 years ago. <laughs> About 11 years ago, yeah. Oh, wow. A long time. What job did you do when you started there? Uh, the first job I did was I worked in the laundry, just washing all their clothes and the bed sheets. Gave me a strong stomach, to say the least. <laughs> God, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, 10 years, that's a long time. Is it a, a, a sort of personal passion of yours? Um, well, it's through my family. So I say it, it, it wasn't at the, at the start. I'm going to be completely honest. It wasn't a passion at all. Um, it was just a job that I needed. Um, and I started working in cleaning. Um, and then <clears throat> when I got a bit older, I then started working with activities. And then I think that completely changed my whole view on the nursing home and nursing care. Like working activities is just, it's really rewarding and it's really fun. Like it is really fun. And like going on trips out and playing bingo on a Monday <laughs> so I think that changed it for me into then more of a more of an aspiration for me yeah absolutely god that does sound like fun I, I love bingo so um, <laughs> guilty guilty pleasure um but obviously you know recently it's, it's not been as as fun as that has it how's it how's it been during the pandemic no uh hard it's probably been the hardest two months of my life I think that I've ever worked uh, the hardest two months for all our staff in the home um we've had to adapt a lot uh during all of this and change a lot of our systems and things that we do and yeah it's been it's been really difficult it really really has we got very short staffed in April I'd say about uh I think it was around the second week of April uh, a lot of our uh staff uh, contacted COVID-19 so it meant that it was like all hands on deck hence me coming out of the office we stopped activities because we just didn't have the time uh, doing I was um, doing breakfasts feeding breakfasts uh, doing the tea trolleys um, helping with personal care helping the carers as much as I could um, and then I did a few days quite a few days actually in the kitchen then doing the washing the dishes and it was a lot of that kind of thing. It was just like everything kind of just changed for us and we all had to pull together really to get through it. It's a bit all hands on deck sort of mentality. Yeah, completely. Didn't matter what job you normally do. Like our hairdresser, she went, she she used to work with us in the kitchen and um, and did a little bit of like activities years ago. And then now she's just been our hairdresser and all of a sudden she was in with me 
doing 10 hour shifts every day and we were doing the tea trolley in the kitchen together and it was like we hadn't done that in years so definitely that mentality to keep us going really so give give a bit of context like what's the care home like what sort of setup is it how many people are there that sort of thing uh so we're 49 beds um and we're nursing care so we're more I would say more end of life care a lot of our residents are disabled or bed bound Uh, only a handful can walk Uh, so it is real personal nursing care and they are very very ill Uh, we have a mix we do have people with dementia and Alzheimer's as well obviously during the pandemic uh, people in care homes it's been a real focus throughout the whole thing what's it been like working there with with the I suppose you work with these people all the time anyway what's it been like during the pandemic uh a lot of ups and downs I'm gonna be honest uh very emotional um I think everyone was emotionally drained physically drained so because normally I work in a bit more management I do a lot in the office and stuff and I do activities here and there but it definitely made me like bond with the care staff more so with the carers like I you know I definitely talk to them more now like we I have a closer bond with them which was really really nice to have I think because we all kind of just gelled together and tried to help each other out as much as we could um it that was the positive aspect that came out of it what's your relationship been like with the patients there I say the same as it always is. I, you know, it's like having loads of grandparents, basically. <laughs> and it's been hard with the people that we've lost. Um, but, you know, there's some days where it's just so nice just to sit and chat with them. And we are, as a staff, quite close with them because we are quite a small home. It's more, I think, because we're trying to help them to kind of um, support them, we definitely get quite like we are getting closer with them. Like today, one of the residents read me a passage from a favorite book. It's just like little things like that. It's just it's nice. It's been it's been oh. quite nice. Yeah, I can imagine that. And I think, um, you know, it must be quite a, a full on draining, like you've said, you know, a really tough job to to have. Um, do you think it's affected your mental health? Um. I'm going to say yes. I think I'm I'm not someone who's ever really... I have never suffered from mental health at all. And I think this whole pandemic has given me quite a bit of anxiety. I think from seeing it firsthand, honestly, I have such a bad time in the supermarket because I get so anxious with people getting too close to me, people not wearing gloves or masks. And I'm thinking, like, it definitely builds up a lot. And I think I was I was coming home some some days and just crying in the kitchen. Like, I think it definitely has affected it because normally I'm, you know, I, I haven't suffered from it. But now I definitely feel that it's that upped it a lot. And I have quite bad anxiety from from what's been going on. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think a lot of people are feeling anxious about it, aren't they? Yeah. And obviously, as a journalist, we are exposed to it we're we're looking at the news a lot we're listening to all the figures and whatever but you are sort of you are on the front line as everyone's sort of been been saying so it's one thing reading about it in the news but you know it's a completely different thing being faced with it every day when you go to work oh completely yeah it's it's so different um I think a lot of people don't really understand what's been going on and they don't really understand the severity of everything um and yeah, you do see it in the news and you see it 
um, on the internet and on social media. But I think seeing it firsthand and seeing what like what the staff were going through and what the residents were going through, it really put it all in perspective and made it so real, um, which I think was frustrating in the sense where I could see people couldn't see that it was so real, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when when you say you, you're quite small care home, how badly would you say you've been affected? I'd say very badly. Yeah, very badly. Do you think that's the case across all care homes or do you think that you, you, you've sort of been unlucky? I think it's hard to say, really. Um, I think it has been the general thing across most care homes. I think a lot of them have struggled, especially with staff, because I think a lot of staff have caught it. Um I think it is a definitely a general thing. We may have had it quite bad, but I think I, I know from other people that work in other care homes that it's it's definitely across the board, but some care homes have had it worse than others. So with things like um, with testing, because I know when we spoke earlier, you said, uh, you know, people have died, but you, you don't know whether it's necessarily directly linked to the coronavirus. Yes, um, we've had a few pass away and because we hadn't had any tests and we had no tests were supplied, uh, we had no idea. But we don't know for sure, obviously, but it was all the symptoms and and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what about PPE? How's that been for you? Um, we've been really lucky. Um, we pre-ordered a lot of it just before it all kind of kicked off. Um, and we had some very kind donations from a school locally who donated visors for us. So we've actually been OK. We've had enough, um, but only because we pre-ordered and paid for it all. Um, and then now, more recently, the Cardiff Council have been supplying it to us. And in normal circumstances, what is it like working in a nursing home? Uh, you said you provide end of life care. So it sounds like it's all doom and gloom, but it can't be. I know you said you've been involved with the activities at the care home. Yes, um, it's not all doom and gloom. It's, it is really fun and it's really rewarding. Like, yeah, it's hard work. It is hard work normally. Uh, I think any care home is hard work anyway. But yeah, working in activities is just, it's so enjoyable. And, you know, some some elderly people are just so less, so lovely and they can tell you so many stories and like they have so much life experience it's unbelievable um you know we have some that have like met the queen and all this kind of stuff people from the war who fought in the war and it's just it's lovely like they're just it's great and I do really enjoy working there and I know other people feel exactly the same it's not for everyone to be honest it really really isn't but it is enjoyable so what sort of activities do you do? You say activities, what, what sort of things do that, does that cover? Uh, bingo, quizzes. Brilliant. We do armchair exercise to get their mobility in their arms. Sitting in the garden. We have singers come perform. That's my favourite, probably. Uh, we do sing-alongs as well with them. And then we do normally, not at the moment, but normally we do uh, two trips out a week. So we go to like the museum, Cardiff Castle, uh, to the pub for some pub lunch down the bay, go for an ice cream, Rove Park Lake, all that kind of all that kind of thing. Really, that sounds lovely. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> How are they feeling about it? How are the patients feeling about it? Um, mixed, I'd say. Not all residents understand what's going on. 
a lot of them still watch the news and they want to watch the news um, and they kind of get it. But it's, I think it's more the fact they can't see their family. Um, I think that's the bit that we're explaining a lot of the time to them, why they can't go outside and they can't see their family and why their family can't come in. I think that that's probably the biggest issue we have with our residents at the moment. You know, like I love one of the ladies calls it the nasty bug that's outside and she understands that, but it's hard for her to understand why her family can't come in and see her. So we use Skype and WhatsApp and we bought like a little old mobile for them to chat to their family. And we do about probably about six, seven calls a day. So and they come to the window as well. Oh, we have that as well. <laughs> Oh, that sounds so sweet. So, so would you say that morale's been down since the trips aren't happening, you know, going to the pub and go, walking around the bay and things like that? Yeah, massively. I think with the COVID death, something I've definitely thought of myself is that they keep saying about the stats of how many people have died, but also I think how many people probably have died from loneliness. And I think a lot of our residents were affected uh, physically because they didn't have that seeing their family every day they didn't have it they couldn't leave their room because we kept them all self-isolating they couldn't leave their room to do activities and see their friends uh in the home and I think you know they were just seeing us with masks on our face and, and a visor and I think that has affected so many elderly people and definitely the family thing you know seeing their loved ones is like their favorite part of the day and I think that has affected them massively have you been doing anything to try and sort of brighten their day? I know you said they're not doing activities at the moment and they've been in their rooms as well, which must be mm. really tough. Is there anything that you feel that like you could do on a maybe a one-on-one basis that's been sort of lifting their spirits? Yeah, we've we've started well, we've been doing one-on-ones recently. So the past I'd probably say two weeks, we've been able to do some one-to-ones and we have had them in the lounge social distancing of course <laughs> and uh, we got some of the you know the exercise bands we got them some of them to do like arm exercises in the lounge oh. so to keep them a bit more active um we do we still do the newspaper like we read the newspaper to them and we do like sing-alongs in their room um one of our ladies who's a bit younger she's only 69 she loves rom-coms so we've got an ipad that we'll put on some rom-coms for her in the room which she absolutely loves we can take one to the garden at a time and take them around just push them around the garden and sit with them outside for a bit and we've just bought some flower new flowers so they can like have a water of the flowers so we're still we're getting there slowly but surely there's a lot of music we're doing a lot of music in the rooms with them. Yeah, and you said, um, I think you said that some of the, or, or a few of the people there have dementia. Do they um, respond particularly well to the music? Massively. Uh, we set up about five five years ago, we set up mu- like our music and dementia activity. So I saw a documentary um, that was in America about how the last part of the brain that is affected by Alzheimer's and dementia is the part that stores music and your memory of music. And they tried playing old music, uh, music that a resident would like and used to love, and it just brought them back to life. So we've been doing that for the past five years. So we've got an iPad, we've got a Spotify account, and they all have their own playlist of all their favourite music. That's amazing. And we've got headphones, and we go around and we do that in the rooms with them, and it, it's honestly incredible. 
And you say it definitely works then? 100%. They smile more. They definitely become brighter. They'll talk to you a bit more. They'll move a little bit. Like, especially the, the residents who are bed bound and don't necessarily move or talk. They will start to move a little bit and smile and their, their face lights up. Wow, that is amazing. And I think um, following on from that, what would you say is the best thing about working in a care home? Honestly, I think it is just having loads of grandparents. Like you have a really, like they are like your friends. I feel really close to the residents and I think all the staff do. And I think that's the best bit about working in the home. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> um, so we're going to have a bit of a slight change of tune now. And um, we're going to talk about your skiing. So uh, where were you when it, it all kicked off? So I was in Austria teaching skiing. Um, it was my seventh season altogether and my third with that company in Austria. Wow. And uh, am I right in saying you've been skiing since you were three? Yeah. <laughs> what on earth? Do you know what? I've been skiing once and I remember seeing all the kids and they're like, you know, what, two foot tall, skiing all over the shop, no fear just completely going for it and they're all like little ducklings do you find that they they're more fearless when they're younger oh 100 percent. they just they don't have that that thing yet in the brain where it tells you to like oh this is this is quite steep this is a bit scary they just think it's really fun i think it's more enjoyable <laughs> to teach children because they have way more fun with it whereas adults are like oh i could break this oh oh this could happen oh it could fall over whereas the children like and their center of gravity is so low they like fall on the floor they just bounce back up again yeah, absolutely. My my centre of gravity definitely doesn't allow for that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how did you become a ski instructor? What what did you do after school to lead you to that? Oh, well, I did an art foundation first, so very much different to what I was going to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did an art foundation, um, and then I decided that I didn't want to do a degree in uni. So my parents were like, that's fine. You just have to carry on with work. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I started then full-time work in the home. And then when I was, I'd say when I was about 19, 20, I really thought, right, I think I'm actually going to do this. I'd wanted to be a ski instructor since I was little, uh, 100%, because I just love it. Uh, but I was in quite a rocky relationship when I was 19, 20, um, in the sense that it just didn't allow me to go. So when I then was single again, I then decided to save up my money because they're quite expensive the ski exams um save up my money and to prepare myself and I was going to apply and I was going to do it so I applied when I was 21 then I went to France and I did my qualifications and yeah and then I became an instructor <laughs> and you've never looked back that's amazing nope. and I think um it's fair to say that skiing is a male dominated sport how, how do you find that Oh, yeah, 100%. I think it's about 70% uh, male, 30% uh, female. And, you know, it's okay. It's, I think my first, my first few seasons, I found quite hard with it. It was quite, I struggled a bit because it was a lot of guys. Then there wasn't as many women. Um, and I felt like I had to kind of prove myself all the time because they kind of make you want to prove yourself. Um, which obviously now I'm older, I know that I didn't need to. But it was definitely that mentality, 100%. Um, you know, if I did something a bit too girly, like, that was wrong. But if I was too much of a tomboy, well, that also was wrong. It was the first two seasons, I'm going to say, were quite hard with that in that sense. But luckily, the last, my last uh, two seasons in Austria, 
there's just been so many girls. It's been great. Like, still not as many uh, girls as there are men, but so much more, and it's been great. I've absolutely loved it. Oh, brilliant! And you said you say that you um, being a bit of a tomboy. Do you think you've always been a bit of a tomboy? Yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. I've always been massively into sport. I was always into makeup. I will say that fifteen onwards, I did like my makeup. But yeah, no, hundred percent. I just love sport and. I would say I'm a bit very much tomboy, very laddish. <laughs> I love a bit of that. Uh, I, to be honest, I think I was a tomboy as well. And um, my mum, I think, would love me to be a bit more glamorous. She is super glam, super glam. Oh, exactly <laughs> the same. My mum is so glam. Really? And she's always like, please, <laughs> you don't want to wear heels with that, not your trainers. And oh, we're going to a nice formal event. Do you have to wear your trainers? <laughs> Can you wear some more pink? I'm like, mum, it's fashion. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, she sees me in a dress and she gets so happy. Oh, ecstatic when I wear a dress. So when we when we spoke earlier, you were talking about how people have a certain view of uh, of people like yourself that go and do ski seasons. What do you think that is? Uh, That we're ski bums. We just love the sport and we go out drinking all the time. And what do you think it actually is? It's more than that. Obviously, we do like to drink a bit. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, <laughs> but it's more, I think, with especially recently, uh, the last three years, I've taught uh, school trips. So it's a bit different. To some ski schools, you teach, uh, you can teach different kids every day. But with teaching school trips, you're, you're their instructor for five to six days. So you have a bit of a bond with them. And it's definitely, there's just so much more to it than just teaching teaching skiing and, you know, enjoying the sport. It's also enjoying teaching for a starter. Like, I absolutely love teaching and I love teaching children. I like to make my passion someone else's passion, which I can definitely, like, a lot of instructors will agree with. Um, but it's also, you know, being a role model because I think especially for teenage girls, um because you're doing something that's an an extreme sport it's male dominated it's not glamorous like skiing is far from glamorous it's really sweaty and like you're in like horror like you know baggy ski clothes all the time it's not pretty your hair's very sweaty and gross but uh, no makeup you know but like I think a lot of the time as well it's kind of encouraging girls to go out and do it and like if they want to do a sport or if they want to do something that is in a male dominated area that they can do it and have more confidence in themselves there's been so many times where you're sat at a lunch break or a hot chocolate break or on a chairlift and you know especially with girls they'll say something you think and it kind of you think oh hang on a minute I should really talk to them on a personal level about this because they they kind of they trust you because you're not a teacher you know you're not a parent you're younger so they feel like there's you're someone that they can talk to and definitely you, the amount of things that you hear as a ski instructor and they will they'll tell you anything and you definitely I definitely feel a responsibility to help these like to help them kind of understand things and and I can kind of as an instructor be a little bit more loose with the way like how I say things I don't have to be I don't have to be formal with them like a teacher would in a school. And there's been a lot of times, especially recently, the past few years, where I've had to kind of talk through things with girls that I've overheard them talking about. 
mainly to do with men. And yes, definitely there is a level of counselling that you end up doing without even knowing that you're doing it, really. What sort of things have you heard? A lot of bullying. Bullying's a main one. Um, I've had to deal with a lot of girls being bullied by boys and by other girls. Also, t- young teenage girls' relationships with older men. I think that was one of the biggest things I heard, which was about two years ago, um, which affected me a lot as well. But I also felt almost privileged that I could talk to them about it openly and give them as the best advice I could give as a woman and as a young woman who's been through not what they have but similar things that they had and my advice to them you know and I I've sometimes like after a week like that I'll have a card from the from the girls and it's just I have cried a few times (laughs) because it's just the you know they're they say things like, oh, you're such a role model and uh, thank you for listening to me and thank you for encouraging me. And it's just stuff like that. And that's really the other aspect of teaching skiing that people just don't see at all. And do you feel a lot of pressure with that or does it come quite naturally? Um, I don't really feel pressure with it. No, I think it does come naturally. Um, I think it's because it's almost like I've been there, you know, and I just want to help as much as I can. What advice would you give to people who might want to work either as a ski instructor or maybe in a care home as well, what what advice would you give? I think with a care home, if you want a job that is rewarding and that makes a difference, 100% go for it. You do have to have a strong stomach um, and you do have to have a bit of a thick skin. But definitely, like if you want something that's rewarding, go for it because it, it really is. Um, and my advice for ski uh, skiing and ski instructing, 100% do it because it is the most fun you'll ever have. Uh, even just as a holiday it's the most fun you'll ever have if you want to become a ski instructor like do it if you love teaching love skiing it's it's just such a fun and great job and you you work with amazing people and looking to the future do you see being a ski instructor as sort of a sustainable long-term job no <laughs> um no probably not um I think I'm probably going to carry it on for a few more years it does take its toll on your body I'm gonna be honest especially on my back and my knees I've got a bit of a dodgy right knee at the moment so I think it definitely isn't long term for me Um, I think it'll be more the care home will be long term for me so what for you is the worst thing about being a woman I think the worst thing about being a woman is uh social pressures uh pressure on to be a certain way or to look a certain way or how you should feel I think 100% that's that's unfortunately the worst thing and on the other hand what do you think is the best thing about being a woman Uh, the best thing about being a woman is definitely because we're strong very strong and you can be whatever you want to be hands down absolutely I love that (laughs) and um so this is a little pandemic sort of related couple of questions how are you staying positive during this time um I think my friends and my family definitely have helped. Um, I just know that you know it's this is not this is not going to be forever. So I think the best way that I've thought about it is that this is going to get better, and it, it's it's not going to be forever. You live with friends as well. Yes, I live with my three friends, which have been they've been very supportive. Uh, when I was working long long shifts, that I would come home and they'd make me dinner. 
um and they had a glass of wine ready you know <laughs> the usual that's got to help that's surely got to help what is the first thing you want to do when the pandemic is over and we're allowed out and we're back to, back to normal inverted commas <sighs> this is gonna sound so late <laughs> I just can't wait to go zoo the my chiropractor. <laughs> what? I don't know. Can I ask why? Um, I've got really, I've got a really bad back, um, and I normally go to the chiropractor once a week, and I haven't been able to go, and my back's <laughs> killing me. <laughs> I'm desperate to go to the chiropractor. Oh, you poor thing. Okay, well, okay, let's think. If, if you were something a little bit more fun, what's the first fun thing you want to do when the, when the pandemic's over? Oh, I'm going to go to the Pennewig pub and drink Prosecco, hands down. <laughs> My favourite place in Cardiff, by far. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guest, Minna Cliff. Kira Cohen-Ennis produced this episode. Next time on LadyPod... Some of my regular monthly skin patients that I see, Jesse Nelson, Jade Thurwell, they're both from Lithwix, a few Made in Chelsea stars, Love Island, of course. They are a lot more self-conscious than the average person. They're filming, they're on TV, they're being caught from every angle. They are hard on themselves. Skin specialist to the stars, Anise Ling, talks lockdown skin, appearing on the dating show Take Me Out and competing in Miss England. Until then, have a great week.